You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have our guest, Jason Gillespie, EVP and Data and Analytics at Shopkick. With more than two decades of experience in data analytics, Jason is a proven leader in applying data to consumer behavior, e-commerce, and marketing. Prior to joining Shopkick, he served as Vice President and Head of Analytics and Data Science at Critio, a leading internet advertising company. In his role, he successfully communicated complex concepts to a wide range of audiences, kept team members focused on analysis to drive relevant strategy decisions, created competitive advantages using best-in-class analytics, and produced valuable market-facing messaging. Before Critio, he also served as Director of Analytics and Segmentation at digital media firm DMS Marketing and Manager of Business Analytics and Finance at Carlson Restaurants Worldwide. Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, Melissa, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about the conversation. I love to geek out on data, so I don't know how geeky we're going to get, but I'm very excited to hear about what you do at Shopkick and and the work you've done with uh, brands and retailers and obviously the impact it's had on consumers. Um, Before we dive into that, though, can you give our audience a a little more of an introduction to Shopkick and your role there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're not familiar with Shopkick, there's really two sides to it. On the one hand, it's a consumer-facing shopping rewards app, but it has a little bit of an interesting twist where those rewards cover the full purchase funnel. So you might get rewards or kicks, as we call them, for watching videos that learn about a product that expose you to new product, very upper funnel sort of tactics. You might also get rewards for engaging with a product directly in a store, kind of mid funnel, and you might get rewards for actually buying a product and then even learning more about that product after you've purchased it to help build loyalty or to cross sell uh, another line extension or something else for that brand. So if you're a consumer, it's a way for you to earn rewards throughout your shopping journey and Really, it's multi-channel, so whether that's online or in a store, though it was birthed in a store, so it has a strong in-store component too. If you're a brand or a retailer, the flip side of that coin is it's a chance to reach a lot of consumers at just the moment when they tend to be the most engaged. If you think about crossing the lease line of a retail establishment, you're walking in, you're probably in a buying mood. It's not that often that you just happen to roll on in to your local food store or even a major retailer like a Kohl's or someone without really being serious about making a purchase or or having a strong intent to buy. And that's a great time to hit people with just the right messaging, whether that messaging is tied to physically handling a product, whether it's a video to learn more about a product, Consumers are very antsy these days, and and part of it's because of COVID, I think, but they want to know more. They want to know how the retailer is operating. They want to know how the brand is operating. They want to learn things. And so an app that can engage them more deeply uh, is seen as very favorable for a lot of them. So that's sort of what Shopkick does in a nutshell, depending on whether you take the consumer viewpoint or whether you take the viewpoint of the brand and the retailer who's trying to reach those consumers. Now, the second part of your question, what's my role at Shopkick? Mm-hmm. I oversee anything to do with data and analytics. And like most technical and, and highly analytical businesses, we want to put data and analytics at the center of everything we do, which is one reason I love this job. 
on the one hand, we have this whole robust understanding of consumers because we're seeing a lot of their behavior and we're seeing that on a first party basis. You know, in the advertising world, there's a lot of chatter now between first and third party because third party cookies are going away and Apple's cracking down on the use of the IDFA. And you really want to be in a first party setting right now. So Shopkick puts me uh, and our whole team in that first party setting where we can really look user by user at what they're doing. And uh, the other side of that is how do we take what we learn and help our brands operate better, help our retailers operate better by bundling that up into consumer insights uh, and other kind of value-added services beyond just the direct engagement with the consumer as they go through the purchase funnel. Amazing. Well, I look forward to diving into all of this. I can imagine all of the learnings that you've had and you know, so much um, when it comes to the evolving consumer, you know, being more in- ingrained in your mobile device contactless payments. I just feel like there's probably been so much opportunities there. You gave a little bit of how how um, Shopkick benefits brands and retailers, but can you tell us a little bit more about how you work with them? Um, how does that engagement, what does that engagement look like usually? Yeah. So it, it varies whether you're a brand or a retailer, as mm-hmm. you can probably imagine, because your objectives are different. So the first thing about engagements is really no one size fits all. I think one of the philosophies we have at Shopkick is a little bit of that white glove service, but where we actually tailor the product too to make sure we're delivering what you need. So on the retail side, you're often trying to drive walk-ins to a store. And you can do that because COVID has dislocated how people think about going to a store. They're going less frequently, but they might be buying more while they're there. They're wanting to understand what are the steps that retailers are taking to make sure that their experience is safe. And if we can talk to those consumers about why going to Retailer X is safe while they're still at home thinking about planning their trips for the week, That's a great way to engage with consumers uh, and help drive store visitation and ultimately store purchase. If you're a brand, on the other hand, you sort of assume they're in the store. You're not as concerned about necessarily driving them to the store, though they may need to be there to buy something, but you really want to make sure that your brand is in their consideration set. So you're getting your brand into the, the awareness group because you're touching these consumers while they're still at home. When they're in the store, you can appeal to those same folks who may have engaged with messaging from your brand while they're actually in the aisle or exactly where your brand's being displayed. And you can give them yet another incentive to actually purchase the brand. I think on the brand side, the interesting blind spot that brands have is that they don't always have the best data feeds back from the retailers. Of course, mm. some do, and, and they offer differing levels of data. If, if you're if you're Walmart, for example, you know, you're best in class in terms of data, but sometimes with just basic regional grocery, there's not a super strong data feed back, certainly not a store-by-store basis. Uh, and we can help with that. We can help brands understand what's going on in that aisle. What are those consumers doing? How do they feel about your product? Uh, And so we we really try to think of it as an ongoing relationship, less transactional and more help us be an extension of your brand marketing or your retail marketing through the Shopkick app and through the community of Shopkick users. That's so interesting when you talk about that, because I think people don't think about um, the, the data feeds and kind of the benefit of that real time access to information and the advantage point that you know working with a company like yours will give them. What um, what major trends have you seen in terms of uh, consumer engagement and apps, especially in the past twelve months? Yeah, well, um, 
I think you asked a, a fairly broad question in terms of apps, and I don't think that our data is sufficient to comment on what might be going on outside of our app or similar apps. I think in general, app engagement is, is way up as consumers mm -hmm. have had to spend more time at home. So if you're thinking about the, the broader spectrum of apps, people are engaging with casual, everything from casual gaming to online shopping, which sort of touches Shopkick a little bit more uh, right. because they... They just have more time at home. They're not commuting. Some aren't working. The economy is still down. We'll talk about that a little more later. But app engagement is way up. People are leaning into the phones. Um, everything's going to that kind of online digital experience. And certainly, we're seeing that in Shopkick. Users have been asking for more content. They've been mm. engaging with content in our app. They've been looking at how they can do things online and get rewarded for it while still getting essentials out in the stores and getting rewards for that. So we think there's a halo effect across all apps. And we've certainly seen in our app and other apps that we analyze that engagement has gone up really across the board. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can attest. I contribute to that. <laughs> I've been trying to work. Well, thank on you. <laughs> I've been trying to be disciplined. You know, you could say in your phone, you know, mm -hmm. give me alerts if I've spent more than say like five hours on Instagram. But um, mm. <laughs> but I think it's inevitable <laughs> until we get um, you know, especially as we're living in this work from home, um, in a time when you know people are making such a transition to online, it's also a time when loyalty has been given to brands and retailers have really leaned into safety and value and convenience. I mean, what are your thoughts and advice for successfully building customer loyalty through rewards programs today? Yeah, that's a great question because I think there's a misconception among retailers that if you make a rewards program, people will love it. It's a little bit like if you build it, they will come. And every marketer knows that's not true. It's the same way with loyalty programs. You could roll one out. And if it's sort of ho-hum, if people don't feel like they're getting the benefit, if it's too limited, uh, if it's hard to get rewards, if it's confusing, they can tend to fall a little flat. Um, really, the gurus in this historically had been actually the airlines as far back as the you know American Advantage program, which was the first airline loyalty program, all the way up to retailers who had got you to get their club cards because the benefits were so immediate and so amazing. You were saving so much money in the store. And so other retailers that are non-grocery should think about those kinds of paradigms. The mm -hmm. benefits are you want them to be as immediate as possible. Um, and, and consumers, when you talk to them, we did a study and 69% of customers said, you know, the, the quality of that loyalty rewards program affects the brand I'm choosing and affects the retailer I'm choosing. It's a little easier for retailers because they own the point of sale experience. For brands, it's quite a bit harder because they don't necessarily have a first party relationship uh, with the consumer, but it doesn't mean they can't dip their toe into it by building loyalty through other alternatives. So you could go through a company like Shopkick, you could go through a company that directly touches consumers. And I think that's where brands really have to partner with some of their marketing vendors. So I'd like to dig in a little bit by how you define quality, right? And how do you work with your brand and retail partners to make sure that they're like, what filter are you using to make sure they're creating a quality experience for their consumers? Yeah, I think when you're when you're working within an app like Shopkick, while, while I said earlier, we try to be somewhat custom in the product we offer, we also try to put the right guardrails up mm -hmm. because fundamentally, Without our consumers loving to use the app, 
it doesn't matter how much a brand or retailer likes it. You've got to have an engaged audience. Right. And our audience has certain expectations. They expect a high quality app. They expect a well-organized experience. They expect that the reward for engaging with a brand is meaningful enough to them that not only does the brand get a good halo from it, but they feel like it's worth their time to engage with that brand, to investigate a video, to pick up a product and hold it in their hand. So we have certain guardrails that we insist on across every brand or retailer's engagement with Shopkick so that the users are guaranteed to feel good about that brand or that retailer. And I think that helps a lot because it takes away some of the design decisions uh, that a marketer might spin their wheels on. And we can just say, no, this is how you do it. We'll give you some options. There's a spectrum there, certainly, but you need to do X, Y, and Z uh, because our users need to feel comfortable and that they're getting rewarded for their time. No, absolutely. Uh, and that's great that they have that partnership um, that you guys are helping them can strategize through that. We talked a little bit on the trend side and seeing that app engagements up and engagements up. I also wonder with this increased adoption of contactless payments, any impact you've seen on Shopkick there? How does that trend correlate with your business? Yeah, great question. You know, none directly because a contactless payment is simply a different way to make a payment. And Shopkick users earn earn kicks all sorts of ways. Sometimes they earn kicks, for example, just walking into a store, mm -hmm. watching a video, things that aren't even related to the payment. Now you do sometimes earn other kicks, such as through the submission of a receipt that aren't directly affected by how you pay, though you have to pay in order to do that. So we think if anything, there's a slight positive because contactless payments fundamentally make a consumer feel more comfortable about making a payment. Mm -hmm. because it is a little bit safer from a COVID standpoint. So the more comfortable a consumer is with that whole in-store retail exper experience, then the more likely they are to find value in what Shopkick offers. Mm -hmm. Do you have any insights that you are able to share, kind of uh, you know, ROI, quantifiable insights of when the average brand or, or retailer offers a rewards program through a partner like Shopkick? What do you see with lifetime value impact? Yeah, great question. Um, I don't have any hard data on that. Um, you know, few of the things we know is that switching brand is a very hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. There, there are some brands that feel that they drive their loyalty people as young as you know five or ten. I have a three-year-old, and he knows brands. He knows YouTube. He knows Apple TV. Uh, probably more than he should. My bad. Uh, <laughs> but fundamentally, you're picking up brand messaging from the time you're a toddler on up. So one of the reasons that COVID has been so interesting for brands is because of stockouts. Because the supply chain was disrupted, it forced users to stick, take a step back and sometimes say, I, my preferred brand isn't here. I'm going to look at other brands. And so we think the major lesson for brands with respect to lifetime value and things of that nature is you have a real opportunity here to improve your operations and therefore improve your lifetime value by lowering the chance that somebody's going to defect and even consider another brand because of COVID or operational reasons. No, absolutely. I mean, it works for me. I'm a big user, for example, of uh, Sephora. And like, mm. I got my points, you know, and I know they're stocking up and I know I'm going to get free shipping or, I, you know, there's certain mm -hmm. thresholds that I've hit because of my loyalty. And so it keeps me coming back. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you you guys conduct a steady stream of consumer surveys to thousands of people across the country, keeping you know your partners informed about changing consumer behaviors. Um, what are some of the consumer trends that you've seen emerge that you find to be some of the most promising opportunities for brands and retailers? Yeah, interesting stuff. stuff some is very much COVID-related kind of blocking and tackling. Sure. Our, one of our more recent studies, for example, Coomers, consumers are still very concerned about the shopping experience. I've mentioned that already. They want it to be safe. Uh, they also, though, are still in a stock-up bunker, a sort of hunker down for the remaining period of COVID. We're all hoping that'll be, you know, maybe five or six more months. But for the first half of the year, there's a set of behavior that is going to be a hangover from 2020, where I think you're going to see similar sort of purchasing behavior. But I also think come the middle of the year, assuming a, a successful vaccine rollout, assuming the reductions that we've seen the last few weeks in COVID um, incidents, especially in, in major areas where we had a big outbreak here in Southern California, we went from 15,000 cases a day in Los Angeles County down to 5,000. And, you know, we continue that trend. Consumers are going to feel quite a bit differently, perhaps in the back half of the year. And maybe the feeling that you need to say so stocked up may change. But right now, they're saying they want to stock up. They want fewer, bigger trips. They're investigating uh, things like Bopus, buy online, pick mm -hmm. up in store. They're not as concerned about brand names. Again, getting back to your prior question, brand loyalty is down a little right now. That's a double-edged sword for marketers. You've got to defend against defection, but it's an opportunity to pick up some people who are uh, not as loyal to your competitors' brands. So any way you can get your hands on data that allows you to conquest against competitive brands, this is an exceptionally good time to do it. And finally, I think the economic crisis, you don't even hear about it as much because mm -hmm. we've been dealing with so many other crises. <laughs> the, the, the health crisis, you know, COVID itself, uh, political issues, insurrections at the Capitol. But eventually, as things are simmering down, and especially when you hear President Biden, he lays out very clearly that we're dealing with four crises, COVID, racial justice, economic, and climate. Climate is probably longer term and not affecting retail behavior directly, though people are making choices uh, around values. And our shoppers are telling us they want to shop places that meet their values. And one of the key values, especially that Gen, Gen Z and millennials are interested in, is environmental soundness and sustainability. So that climate crisis is already affecting things. The COVID crisis clearly affecting things. I think the economic crisis is the one that we haven't talked as much about. And that's going to drive consumer behavior until the economy is quite a bit better. You have a lot of people who you know, are only in their apartments because they're on a rent moratorium or an eviction moratorium. Eventually, they're, they're going to have to pay the rent or they're going to have to move out or they're going to have to downshift to something smaller or double up. And you're going to see that ripple through the economy probably for the rest of 2021. And that's going to be a real interesting story. I think how consumers continue to have a very value-oriented mindset. Oh, that's a great point. I think we underestimate that and we forget about that side that we haven't factored in fully that the long tail impact um, that, that right. we're going to see. Um, well, when you talk about, you know, brand loyalty being so challenging right now and, and people leaning into value, convenience, safety, are there any examples you could give um, of some best in class um, approaches that one of your brand or retail partners have done? Um, you know, that, that just kind of, they took a really um, successful mindset and, and had a successful approach to building loyalty. Yeah. Um, 
I off the top of my head, I can't think of necessarily one of our partners. Um, the the one that always jumps up in terms of that value oriented mm-hmm. fi- uh, factor that we're seeing actually in, in a lot of survey respondents is a company like an Everlane, companies like mm. that, right? Where they came into an industry and they said, we're going to blow to bits the way you operate, kind of like Tesla did, right? Tesla took all these car makers, make the same cars, spent all this money on marketing. And basically, you don't even know what brand you you saw. Um <laughs> Everlane came into the fashion industry, which is notorious for huge markups, huge discounts, playing with pricing, sweatshops, you know, in Asia. And so we're going to blow that out of bits. We're going to show you how much we pay for everything. We're going to show you where it's sourced. We're going to inspect the factories. We're going to just re-engineer the way a fashion shop works. Mm-hmm. And I think that's resonating. Uh, it may not resonate with everyone, but it's resonating with younger consumers. It's resonating with a big enough group that there are companies like that that are taking that approach where you almost has to be head to toe. You, you can't be a little bit in on values. When you have a value, it has to permeate everything you do from top to bottom. And it's hard for like a gigantic, gigantic corporation to make that sort of change quickly because they also service everyone. It's much easier for like an Everlane to do something like that. But I think they serve as a good illustrative uh, example that's perhaps aspirational, you know, for other companies. Tom Shoes, you know, historically had been very strong with the whole one for one, leaning into values. Good shoes, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people would buy buy them because they love the values of the company and what it stood for, in addition to it being, you know, a fine piece of footwear. No, absolutely. I think you make a good point and also kind of transitioned into what I was going to ask you next, because I wanted to talk about how brands and retailers can translate behavioral insights to better serve their customers. And we talk about, you know, people feel impassioned to stand behind brands that are transparent that are disruptive in a positive way that are value oriented um, and that, you know, their values permeate who they are, you know, it's part of their intention, their mission, um, their motivation as, as a company. They're not just a product company. They're selling something bigger. That's right. By the way, that's a challenge for traditional brands and that, and, and the DTC movement, you know, sprang forth from those sort of rich waters of, people needing to reach out for a value around something. And, and a lot of the the big guys have realized that and they've started to acquire some of those more DTC brands, um, you know, Dollar Shave Club, things like that, that started with a, a, a value that was value. Value was their value, essentially. Like, why are you paying $4 for a razor? And eventually it was purchased, you know, by a much larger CPG company. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you'll you'll see a lot more of that too in, in the M&A world. Um, and so again, you, you really, I mean, you sit at the heart of information, um, with especially the, the consumer surveys that you're doing year round. Um, specifically, what do you see as opportunities for brick and mortar retail going forward? I mean, we've talked a lot of the trends of increased app usage and, and, and being, you know, living in this BYOD, bring your own device world. And so how does this then translate to the opportunities for the brick and mortar world? Yeah, great, great question. I think if you've made it this far in brick and mortar, you're looking at a lot of upside. And you can capture that upside by seamlessly marrying the brick and mortar and digital worlds, right? People have shifted into a little more digital world uh, in some ways. They're researching things. They want to make sure they know what they're getting when they go to the store. But they're still telling us in our in our research, you know, huge fractions, 89% 
uh, of consumers in one of our recent studies said, I'm still buying essential items in a store. And 63% of consumers said, I'm buying non-essential items in a store or I plan to in 2021. So consumers are getting increasingly comfortable being in stores and they want to get back to stores. Um, we don't have as much data around stores because they they had some shut down and then they've been reopened. But mm-hmm. again, here in the Southern California area, when outdoor dining returned, uh, outdoor dining was canceled for about four to six weeks. Outdoor dining is now allowed in Southern California. There were lines out the door the very next morning at the brunch restaurants. People right. weren't even waiting for lunch or dinner. They want to get back to what they were doing. When we ask them, what do you want to get back to? Travel is actually number one and seeing family, understandable, those sort of go together. Right behind that is dining and shopping. They like the experience. It's not just a functional thing for people. It's not just feeding myself. It's not caloric intake and purchase. <laughs> it's a whole experience around dining and retail. And we think that if you're therefore strong in store, hang in there, marry as much as you can of your in-store and digital presence, make it seamless, um, keep, keep consumers engaged, keep your brand top of mind so that as COVID declines and as more people are comfortable and more comfortable coming back to stores, you're ready to take advantage of what we think is going to be a very significant upswing, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime in 2021. No, I can't agree more. I mean, I cannot wait. I miss shopping in stores. Like I, I order online, but then I have to return like two thirds of it mm. because I always get, I get it wrong. I just cannot, mm. you know, I, I could buy my toilet paper online. That's not mm-hmm. a problem. But when it comes to clothes and certain, you know, certain categories, especially in apparel um, and footwear and, you know, fit, I think there's a lot of great fit technologies out there, but it be, it's a burden really to buy and having to return everything because I have like a 25% hit rate of getting it right. Yeah, it's a very fair point. There are some elements of being in a store that are very hard to replicate at home. And you mentioned, you know, toilet paper. First of all, I'm just glad you can buy toilet paper. So that's awesome. We're out of that world where we couldn't even get toilet paper. Um, but fit, color, feel, all of these like sensory attributes, you can't get them through the screen that easily. So anything that has like that high sensory attribute, getting back into the store, you know, really makes a big difference, I think. Apparel is probably towards the top of the list there, but, you know, sporting goods, potentially, um, you know, outdoor equipment, there are probably whole categories where people are just chomping at the bit to be able to put their hands on, on product. No, absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, that that's also where was interesting how we'll see this transition um, as we'll see more and more, like for the for the um, footwork category, we'll see more fit shops, and you know we'll see mm. more shoppable showrooms. And I'm sure that there's uh, rewards opportunities in there. Like, come in, find your fit. We'll reward you for it every time you make a purchase. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of opportunities to really tie it together as we see physical retail transform to better serve these new consumer behaviors. Yeah, and. and- this transformation was going on certainly before COVID. You know, the joke is COVID doesn't create new trends; it accelerates one that we're already go that we're already going exactly. on. You look at like a Nordstrom, and they were toying with you know after hitting some rough spots, they were toying with opening much smaller stores that were almost like uh, an order fulfillment return mm-hmm. and try on shop, and maybe the store was three to five thousand square feet. So there's a lot of room for retail innovation. You know, do you want to even be in a mall at this point? Are malls going to be repurposed to be more residential? Who knows? 
Um, are people gonna gonna move back into cities or flee for the suburbs now that we can all work remotely? And how's retail gonna react to that? There's definitely gonna be a place for retail, uh, mm -hmm. but it's gonna be transformed a little bit. No, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up malls because that's definitely a rethink. How do they get remerchandised? How they were already starting to become town centers where you were mm -hmm. having residential, you were having some office, which that's a whole other category a conversation we could have. And then there's retail. Um, and, and, you know, that's interesting as those environments evolve an opportunity for rewards and loyalty. Like think of the holistic view you can have around the consumer from their home life to their, retail life to their work life like it's 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 pretty interesting i think how it can eventually become this holistic point of view that you have yeah absolutely um and some retailers sort of went that way there was a plenty program and you could get rewards across a number of retailers in some other countries japan for example the mall owner is often the person running the loyalty rewards program mm. and so they'll have data about your purchase behavior across the entire property yeah. Uh, that's not as common in America. It's not like Westfield is running the rewards when you walk into, you know, Amazing or Penny or whatever. You never know. Not yet, but you never know. Maybe they branch out, you know, and offer that as kind of a service. No, absolutely. Well, look, at the end of the day, like you said, um, COVID just accelerated because necessity, you know, drove demand. Um, and it, I think it accelerated a lot of the things that have needed to happen to make things better within the retail experience. So, while it was an unfortunate situation, I think in many ways, the experiences that we're all going to have later this year and into 2022, on average, are going to be better experiences. Almost certainly. <laughs> You're not going to get a lot of argument, I think. There. <laughs> well, good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your insights. I always love to to hear, you know, those data insights um, and get those little nuggets of information. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Again, everybody, this was Jason Gillespie. He is the EVP of Data and Analytics at Chopkick. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for having us, Melissa, and uh, stay tuned because I think when we run these insights in six months from now, we might see a slightly different story and I think it's going to be very interesting. Oh, well, then I will definitely be watching out for that. I can't wait to see it. Great. All right. Well, thank you.